All right, we are uh, entering into the Christmas Advent time, and so uh, that was uh, Pastor Cora's idea from downtown, and uh, I thought it was worthy of uh, doing the same thing here. So uh, the best way to spread Christmas cheer, and uh, this first one that we're going to be looking at in this Advent season is going to be experiencing the season of Christmas uh, amidst everyday life. And if you haven't seen the movie, uh, you know, uh, Buddy the Elf, um, it's, uh, or just the Elf, um, he, he, he's just, he just loves everything about Christmas, and, and it's all year round. Everything that he does is just Christmas and Santa, and he's just jazzed about Christmas. And, and so is there something that we can learn from Scripture, from God's Word, to say, it, it, should, we, should we feel that way? I mean, right? I mean, maybe not so much about Santa and all this, but is there some truths that we have about this Christmas season that we can all um, experience together? Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, I'm a pastor here at Lower Town, and, and I'm glad you're here. And this is going to be the first week of, of four, even after Christmas, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll tie this up. I'll be here next week. Um, and then again, I just want to remind you, on the 23rd, we won't have service here. We're going to do one giant combined service at 10 a.m. Uh, downtown Minneapolis at Hope Downtown. Um, and then we will not be doing a candle light service. Um, first Baptist will be in here. And they're going to be having theirs at 5 p.m. So if you just want to come to this space at 5 and, and sing some carols, they're actually going to do what we did last year and read part of the Jesus uh, Storybook Bible and look at uh, the, the Advent through the, the lens of even just the Old Testament, looking forward to the birth of Jesus. And uh, so that's at 5 p.m. Uh, but then we will have our own uh, downtown as well on the 24th. And uh, that will be at 7 p.m. So uh, feel free to, uh, if, if you're around and you'd like to, to do something like that, so... Um, anyways, that's that. So how do we do this? How do we get into this? How do we get into the idea of how do we experience the season of Christmas amidst everyday life like Buddy the Elf if he became a, a Christian? Maybe he's a Christian. I don't know. He doesn't really say. Um, so I want to I set the stage. and I want to I go a little bit uh, back in time. And, and tonight's not going to be a typical Christmas sermon. I think it'll be maybe a little bit more like that next week. Um, and, and man, spoiler alert, uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping to teach you something like really actually new about Christmas. You know, Christmas happens every year, right? When you're preaching through things and you're doing this, it's kind of the same thing over and over and over, right? Um, that's why I liked the way we do these hymns, and you can read the lyrics, you know, just reading them and a little bit different tune. Just kind of, I don't know, for me, it really lets me think about what I'm actually singing and saying. And um, so, anyways, next week will be a little bit more typical, but. Um, this week, though, we're going we're to get a little bit more Old Testamenty, and uh, and look at the promise of uh, not just Jesus, uh, but some other another individual who was promised to to come. So, I want to set the stage. Where is Israel? Well, they just uh, beautifully uh, sang the lyrics of uh, "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel," and this is the heartbeat of every Israelite in the Old Testament. And we look at the book of Malachi, which we're going to be at in just a minute. It's going to be 400 years before the birth of Christ. And this is what they feel. This is how they think. Oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel just means God with us. Come, this promised Messiah. Why? To ransom captive Israel, right? That they have been in captivity. They're in exile, as the next line says, that mourns in lonely exile here. That there have been these, there have been thousands of promises about the Messiah who's going to come and is going to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. 
We know all about this. Come, what are you waiting for? And they mourn in lonely exile until the Son of God appeared. So I want to go back and look at Malachi. And this is Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6 through 14. And I'm going to be all over the Bible this evening. So you can, if you have an electric version, you might be able to keep up. But I, I will, it'll be on the screen and I'll read through them all. So this is Malachi, um, or as Pastor Steve always says, the Italian prophet Malachi. I, he always does that. And he always gets a, a laugh. And I, I, I don't know. All right. Um, again, here, what's going on? Okay, they're, they're in exile. They are under occupation. And they're not living the way that they've been told to live. They're not living under the law, the Mosaic law they've been giving with under the, the Levites and, and the Levitical law of sacrifices and, and how they should be living as a people set apart by God to be holy for him. And so God shows up and, and speaks through Malachi, the prophet, and he says this, if I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says Yahweh Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. All right, so he's, he's specifically in this passage attacking the priests, right? The spiritual leaders of that community that, that should be preaching God's word and teaching God's word and leading by example. And he immediately starts with those who know better. You priests, you show contempt for my name. Because if the priests are corrupt, it all trickles down. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that Yahweh's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor, right? He's saying here, you're, you're making these sacrifices. and you're, you're supposed to eat these sacrifices, most of these sacrifices. And he's saying, you're, you're not eating them, right? You're, you're offering these animals to me because you're saving the choice animals, the unblemished animals that are required by law for my sacrifice. You're saving for yourselves. And he says, these animals that are diseased and, 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 and lame, you, you wouldn't even eat them. I remember uh, back in the day, uh, this was a long time ago, I used to, I used to hunt white-tailed deer, and this was a long time ago. I, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm against hunting, but I, things have changed in my mind. Okay, it's been a long time since I've done that. So. But there was one of our, our, my hunting buddies who, who um, got a, a very large doe, at least we thought it was a large doe, and then as we got closer to it, it had a huge growth on its back. And uh, it was like, yeah, okay, well, maybe we took it out of its misery. No one's eating it. Right? Nobody, nobody wants to touch that. And what he's saying, what God is saying here is, you, you try offering them to your governor. You, he, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Would he even, on a human level, accept that offering? Says Yahweh Almighty. Malachi says this, Now plead with God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says Yahweh Almighty. Oh, that one of you, would shut the temple doors so that you would not, so that light would, uh, sorry, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar, right? He's saying, he's literally saying, it would be better for you just to shut the doors up. It would be better if nobody came into my presence in your temple than to do what you're doing, 
right? And I know this is Old Testament, this isn't talking about the church, but man, reading that passage as he's condemning the, the spiritual leaders, and for me to have to sit and say, man, I hope we're doing more good than evil. I hope that, that we are becoming more like Christ. I pray that the gospel penetrates every aspect of our life. And we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. We never will be perfect. But are we doing more harm than good? It's a question that, that we have to ask. I don't think we are. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. Probably would have quit a long time ago. He says, I am not pleased with you, says Yahweh Almighty, and I will not accept offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, right? Not you, Israel. I've given you the law. I've given you a way to worship me, but my name will be great among the nations or Gentiles. From where the sun rises to where it sets, at every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and the food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, right? Oh, it's so much work worshiping Jesus or worshiping God the Father. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says Yahweh Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says Yahweh? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it and then sacrifice the blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says Yahweh Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. That is the state of Israel. That is why they cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right the wrongs, fix what's broken. We're in darkness. Come, fix this. Well, we're gonna see in the same book a promise is made, except this isn't gonna be a promise about the Messiah. There have already been hundreds, if not thousands, of prophecies about the Messiah and who he was going to be and what he was going to be like and where he was going to be born. But here we're going to see a new prophecy that's going to be made in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare a way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says Yahweh Almighty. Someone's going to come. Someone's going to come before the Messiah, and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And you can come gladly welcomed into the temples again. The doors will be opened. Whom you desire, that Messiah will come, says Yahweh Almighty. And again, at the end of the chapter, this is the last verses of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and their hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That's, that's the last word of the Old Testament. And this is 400 years before Jesus comes. So for 400 years, the Israelites had this promise. He's coming. Someone else is even going to come and, and prepare the way. How exciting would that, would that be? And just to wait in anticipation. I don't know if you ever, like, were excited about something to happen or, or you know, and I, and I remember, just think back to my childhood, and, and uh, we, didn't, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And uh, this one year, though, I was older. I was in uh, elementary, maybe sixth, seventh grade, junior high-ish. You guys don't call it junior high up here, though, right? You call it middle school. Is that right? Yeah, yeah middle school. Uh, I think my sister would have been in middle school, and I think my brother was in ninth grade, maybe 10th. 
And um, my parents sat us down and said, hey, you know, this is how we normally do Christmas. We go to grandma's house and it's great. Um, how about this year, would you guys, and this was months before Christmas ever rolled around, they said, how would you feel if we didn't celebrate Christmas the way we normally do and we went to Disney World instead? And all of us, even though we were older, we were, we'd never been, and, and so we were all just ecstatic about this. Like, yeah, of course, like rides and Mickey Mouse and all this stuff, right? Like, we were super pumped, but we had to wait months for it, right? It was, it was like, I rather would have had them just spring it on us. And, and so I actually have a, a picture. This is um, a picture of a picture. This was in the uh, Tower of Terror, um, if you've ever been there. So I'm the one in that sweet track jacket right in the front row there uh, next to my... <laughs> Next to my, I'm terrified. I am terrified out of my mind. My dad kind of has a sadistic, happy smile on his face. I'm not, not sure what's going on there. And then my brother and sister are, are equally terrified as me. And um, my mom doesn't do rides. So my mom would, to this day, she will get in a line with us to spend time with us. And then when it's time to get on the ride, she, she gets out. And so, which was kind of nice because then it was just four of us. You know, you got to do the whole, is there, well, there's three people and one that guy's alone, but whatever, you know, it, it worked out uh, great. Um, anyway, so that was that, but we, we just lived in this anticipation, right? And if it's that, if it's that true, like on a child's level going to Disney World, right? How much more would that be of someone's going to come and set us free from sin? Someone's going to set us free from bondage to slavery. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. So we see this promise is kept. And in Luke chapter 1, the familiar passage that's read usually every year uh, at churches all throughout the the world is Luke chapter 2. But in Luke chapter 1, a lot happens. That's where uh, Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be blessed and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And she just says, yes, if that is God's will for my life, may it be done to me. But we also have another song, a song by a gentleman named Zechariah. Zechariah is going to be the dad of this other young boy that's going to be born. And he's actually going to be the cousin, a first cousin of Jesus. And they're going to grow up together. They're going to spend time together, right? They're going to celebrate Christmas together. Like, hey, Jesus, it's your birthday. Let's, let's get around the Christmas tree. No, that, that didn't happen. Um, but we have this promise of this, this, this individual who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Now he comes and he's born. And now we have Zechariah singing this song and praising. And he says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Right? He's, this is now, the, instead of, O come, O come, Emmanuel, he's saying, he's coming, he's here. I mean, just imagine that anticipation built up. He says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And that's just prophecy linking to Jesus that he's going to be of the line and lineage of King David himself. Verse 20, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, right? This has been said for thousands of years. And now it's here. Salvation from our enemies and from the land of all who hate us to show us mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. Man, I would love to unpack that. Maybe in January, I've got a standalone message. We might talk about remembering the covenant, but but yeah, okay. We're not gonna go there right now. Verse 23, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all 
our days. That prophetic, unbelievable song, those last two lines there, to enable us to serve him without fear. Israelites, if it wasn't the high priest, on the day of atonement could not enter into the Holy of Holies where, where, his, where the God, God the Father, uh, Yahweh was and his presence was. They weren't allowed in there. Now I can enter into his presence without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. All of them. Done. And then he says this about his child. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him. Right, the angel went to Zechariah and said, you're going to have this child. You're, he's going to fulfill this prophecy. So he knows this about his son. He's going to be set apart for this ministry to prepare the way for the Messiah. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. But this, is, this is new to them. It's not every year we get around and we read the story. This is the first time this has happened in thousands of years. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet to the paths of peace. It says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness. <laughs> he lived in the wilderness and appeared publicly to Israel. We don't get a lot about, about John the Baptist uh, his, his childhood, right? He actually just like, all right, dad, I'm going to the wilderness. See you later. I, I don't know what happens, right? But he goes into the wilderness and he starts his ministry there. And so we see John the Baptist now preparing the way. He's going to fulfill these prophecies. And Jesus himself is going to say, oh yeah, John, my cousin, right? My, my brother from another mother, he's preparing the way. And this is Mark chapter one. It says, in the beginning, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet and Malachi, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. All right, you gotta imagine this. You've got this, this, this man who goes into the wilderness to, to prepare the way, to preach repentance and baptism. It's all he's doing. He's just setting up the stage, right? He, he's setting up the T-ball on the stand so Jesus can just show up and say, I'm the guy. I'm the one who can take away your sins. But what's really crazy, uh, well, first off, maybe John the Baptist isn't actually a Baptist, okay? I, look, I tried to think, there's a, there's a fancy word for a Greek word that just gets transliterated. Ha, 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 there it is. All right, it just gets transliterated. Uh, that literally just, woo, isn't that weird how your brain just does that sometimes? I was Googling it, trying to find it. I couldn't find it, and there, there it is. Better than Google. All right. <laughs> Baptist in Greek is just baptizo, okay? It's all it means, all right? So, uh, it, it, I'm not trying to get weird on Greek here. All, the thing is, the translators didn't know how to, how to translate it into a word that everyone understands. So they just said, baptizo, we'll just say Baptist. That's, that's the word for it. And so he is John the Baptist. And uh, anyways, that, that, that's what that means, okay? But he did a lot of baptizing. And so that's, that's part of it, okay? So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching uh, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Right, you gotta think about this. One of the first 
mega churches, right? It says the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Right? A mega church in the wilderness. Why? Because he's preaching a message of hope, not law and morality. I'll just fix this, do this. He's saying, repent, be baptized, be saved. And he says, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And just a little um, information on John. It says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, and this was his message. After me, there comes one more powerful than I. Right? He, knows his, he knows what he's supposed to do. He's just preparing the way. After me comes one more powerful than I in the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. That's his cousin. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He calls people to repent and to be baptized. And how does he do that? Because when Jesus comes on the scene, this is what he says. The next day, this is a different, different book here and just kind of fill, fill in the blanks here. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No longer are our priests presenting blemished animals to try to fulfill some kind of old law that's going to temporarily appease this, this God that, that's going to forgive us of our sins. No, he says, no, this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world, not just an Israelite. This is the one that I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And that is why Jesus could claim in his ministry before Abraham was, I am. John understood this. This is the Messiah. He is the one that's gonna set us free from our sins. He is the lamb of God. Luke chapter three says this, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, right, this is what he's preaching, this is the message that he's teaching people, right? Repent, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Right, what he's saying here is just because you're ethnically an Israelite doesn't mean you're okay. And what he's preaching here for the first time in, in the history of mankind, he's saying your, your ethnicity, your pedigree means nothing. You've got to repent. You've got to believe. Just for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children from Abraham. It's not talking about actual physical descendants of Abraham, right? Rocks can't have other baby rocks, right? Unless... The, well, that breaks down. You chip off the old rock. That doesn't really work. But you know what I'm saying, right? Rocks don't procreate. Okay, that's fair. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's preaching a hard message of repentance to people who don't want to hear that, and especially to the ruler. Herod the Great is, uh, excuse me, not Herod the Great. Herod uh, Antipas is in charge. And Herod... Uh, who would, has the title king of the Jews at the time. John the Baptist doesn't like that. And John the Baptist goes after Herod and says, you need to repent. You need to repent of your sins. 
He says, because you married your brother's wife, right? But your brother's wife is also your niece and my niece, okay? So, so Herod marries his niece, okay? Following me there? Which is also his niece-in-law. Is that a thing? It's not a thing. He marries this, this, this girl, this woman, and, 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 and John the Baptist says, no, 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 no. That's not okay, <laughs> right? Like in like any circle in the world, that's not okay, right? He says, you need to repent of that. And uh, Herodias is the girl's name, Herod and Herodias. She doesn't like that. She says, you need to arrest this guy. So Herod arrests him, throws him in jail, and, and, and there's some angst there, but Herod is afraid to kill uh, uh, John the Baptist because he's afraid of what the people are going to do. He's this powerful prophet that, that, that has come out, and, and people just love him. And he says, that, you know, so he just thought, if I, if I kill this guy, uh, I'm, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. The mob is going to come after me. But he actually liked listening to the teaching of John the Baptist. He was kind of starting to be swayed a little bit. Okay, so that's what's going on. In that moment, though, when he starts standing up to Herod, he gets thrown into jail. And he's in jail for a while. All right, so in a minute, in a minute, in a minute, in a minute I want to come back to uh, John the Baptist. But I, I just want to go and look at Jesus starting his ministry. Which, again, okay, this is not your typical Christmas story, right? Like, what's, what's like baby Jesus, right? Okay, we're not, we're not even talking about baby Jesus this week. That's next week, okay? So we're going to fast forward and Jesus, this one who's come to save Israel, comes to start his ministry. And this is what happens in Luke chapter 4, up until this point, okay, in synagogues, what they would do is kind of a, a round area, and, and, and whoever was teaching would kind of be in the middle with a scroll, and they would read and teach from that, from that text. And so for the first time, Jesus steps up to the, to the plate, right? He says, I'm, I'm actually going to teach something today. So he went into Nazareth, where uh, he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That's all he does. Reads three verses. You're like, well, you can't, hey, take some hints from Jesus. I mean, you calm down here, man. Reads these verses and he sits down. It says, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they lose their minds, right? They want to kill him right there and then. Who, who is, the, wait, aren't you Joseph's, aren't you a carpenter's son? Who do you, like you're, you're claiming in by reading that saying, you're fulfilling that. You're telling me that you're the Messiah? No, 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 no. This is not how the King of Kings, Lord of Lords is going to do this. He's going re, to restore Israel to power and prestige. All right. Jesus says this. I want to go back and just look at the verse that he quotes here in Isaiah. He has anointed me, just keep this in mind, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And now we're going to see John the Baptist, the one that was prophesied, experiences utter darkness and rejection and ultimately death. 
He's still in jail here at this point while Jesus is going about his ministry. He's in jail, and, and Herod has a party. He hosts this big party, and, and he has his, his, his wife, Herodias, is there, but now he has his, his wife's daughter, okay, so his niece's daughter, okay, so he's like the grandpa and stepdad and cousin, where it just gets really ugly uh, at this point, okay? And he's in some drunken stupor at this party. He has this, the daughter come and, and dance in front of him and his buddies. And he, in his drunken stupor, he says, man, that was beautiful. You know what? You can have anything you want. Anything you want, right? Only a, a drunk king says something as stupid as that. <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever you want. It's all yours, right? Anything you want. What'd she do? She goes to her mom and says, hey, Dad said I could have whatever I want. She says, I want you to ask for John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. Huh? Yeah, that's, that's what you're going to get for Christmas. Right? You're going to get John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. He said, you can have whatever you want. Well, he won't kill this guy. And this guy has been insulting me. Kill him. Put him to death. John hears about this. He's in prison. He's got hours, days to live. And he's starting to doubt. He's starting to go back to where Israel was. Wait, oh, oh come, oh, come, Emmanuel. <laughs> that's, that's funny, because I thought you already came, right? I, I'm pretty sure the first time you preached, you said you were going to set the prisoners free. I'm in jail. I'm about to die for you. What's he do? John the Baptist, the man who Jesus Christ claimed that there is none greater born among women, that means everybody. John the Baptist doubts. So John, John's disciples told him all about these things, things that were going to happen to him, what Jesus was doing, and calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord, sent them to Jesus to ask, are, are, you, are you the one who's to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to, to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And is my cousin really, really who he said he is? Have I just been taught a lie? What's going on? Listen to Jesus' response. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. Verse 22, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. This should sound just like Isaiah. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Did you notice what he leaves out in that? The prisoners are set free. He doesn't say that to John. He says, you're in a dark place, and I need you to have faith. I need you to have faith that I am who I said I am. So when we look at experiencing the joy of Christmas, it's not just about this beautiful, shiny birth of a baby. It is that. But it's so much more because Emmanuel has come and he's alive. 
And we get to experience not just the birth of Jesus, but the life of Jesus, who has come to set the oppressed free, who has come to, to, to help those who are sick and in need. And again, most often it's not the tangible things. It's those who are spiritually dead. It's those who are spiritually in need. It's not a kingdom that's going to take over and, and build kingdoms and, and conquer lands and people and say, you need to be a Christian. It's going to be a kingdom that is one, one soul at a time. And so while Israel could sing and proclaim, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we now, because he has already come and he has conquered death and hell, and for whatever reason, we now sit on this side of the cross and say, just like Israel, what are you waiting for? Fix it. You see, 2,000 years ago, he, he took our sins and he nailed it to the cross. And he will remember, remember them no more. It's no matter what kind of pain, suffering you're going through, so did Jesus. He suffered and bled and died for you and for your sins and for all who would come to them. It's not just about the birth, but about the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And so now we can sing songs like this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. But he's already appeared. So rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel, because he has come to you and all those who believe. In conclusion, just a gospel application. Christmas is hard for a lot of us. There's people in this room, you have relatives who, who don't believe a lick of what I just said to me. You have suffered loss. And you're entering into this holiday season saying, I don't even know how I can possibly handle this grief. looking at even just the materialism around Christmas and all these things, how are you experiencing the joy of Christmas in everyday life? Because as dark as things can get, what we get to do on this side of the cross is say, but Jesus, he is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And that should bring us joy in the midst of intense, dark suffering. And even those moments of doubt, are you really the one? He says, yes. Yes, I am. And we remember that by taking these elements. We're going to take the bread and we're going to break it the way that Christ's body was broken for us. And we're going to drink of the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins. And we can take these elements and not just remember the birth and not even just remember what Christ did on that cross 2,000 years ago. We remember what he is continually doing in us now. He is continually washing us with his blood. He is continually forgiving us of our sin so that we can become and stand boldly in that throne of grace before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who's seated on his throne and say, Have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And we get to do that gladly because of what Christ has done on the cross. And may we remember that this Christmas. 
We'd love for you to partake in this. If you've never had a, a communion or, or a meal like this, um, it would just say, if you're a follower of Jesus, we would love for you to come and have this meal with us and eat and partake of these elements as long as you bow the knee to King Jesus. Will you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you loved everyone in this room while we were sinners. You didn't just love us and have pity on us. You loved us enough to send your son to take on flesh who will always be in flesh and is somewhere in this world in flesh. He made that sacrifice for us. And he suffered and died so that we could have life, so that we can behold that slain lamb on the cross who takes away the sins of all who had put their faith and trust in him. So God, I just want to lift up those that this season of Christmas is actually difficult for them, just culturally, of getting around people and family and expectations. This is hard. God, I pray that they would experience your grace and your love and mercy and just be able to, in those dark moments, say, yeah, but, but Jesus. So God, would you be honored as we come to this table, as we partake of these elements, as we remember what Christ did for us on that cross. And thank you for your love in sending him to be born a humble birth thousands of years ago. And it's in Jesus' most precious name that we pray. Amen.